Welcome to Interfaith Encounters. In this third season, we're looking at migrants and immigrants, faithful encounters with the stranger in our midst. I'm Dr. Robert Hunt. My guest today is Reverend Marv Knox, Executive Director of Fellowship Southwest, a regional ecumenical network founded by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Welcome, Mr. Knox. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So my first question is, how does your faith tradition understand our responsibility to migrants and immigrants? Well, thanks for uh, having me. And that, that's a wonderful question. And actually, it strikes a, a chord with one of my earliest memories. As a preschooler in my little Baptist church in the Texas Panhandle, we, we sang a simple tune, Jesus Loves the Little Children, All the Children of the World. My daughter sang it a generation later, and, and maybe many of your listeners uh, sang it, too, as they were growing up. But little girls and, and little boys, if they're paying attention then uh, in that tradition, grow up learning that God cares for all people everywhere. Um, and we're, we're fortunate to live where we do and to enjoy the privileges that are presented to us. But we're not exceptional. Jesus loves the little children, all the children. Um, and so we try to take our cues to, to learn our lessons from the Bible. Uh, from the beginning to the end, we witness the truth of that little children's tune, Jesus Loves the Little Children. The implications grow and expand as we, as we age and mature and, and, um, and, and as we encounter more of the world. But the basic truth um, of divine love for all humanity is uh, distilled into that song and um, and in my background, we, we start with the Hebrew scriptures in the first chapters of Genesis and the first book of the Bible. We see that God's involvement uh, was in all creation. Uh, and in chapters one and two, we read two parallel accounts of creation. But, but in both of them, humanity is the crowning glory of the created order. Um, and, and scripture says that God created people in order to um, enjoy reciprocity of, of love with God. And, and that story focuses on the earliest people and their relationship to God. But it's, it, that's only the groundwork. People throughout history, all the successors of those uh, first people are vital and of infinite worth because they've been created by God. And they bear the divine stamp. Um, sentient free will and volition is capable of returning God's love. And so in many ways, that's the, that's that image of God that, that we have in, in every person. And from the first humans all the way to the babies born while we've been talking, um, human beings possess infinite worth. Um, and actually a, a side note before I go on that uh, Christians embrace this notion, not just because we revere and embrace the Hebrew scriptures, but also because uh, they're written into our own canon. Uh, the opening lines of the gospel of John say of the Christ in the beginning, the same phrase that starts the, the Genesis in the beginning was the word. That's the Christ. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him. All things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. So it is strongly embedded, I think, in, in both the, uh, in the Hebrew Bible and the Hebrew tradition, the Jewish tradition, the Christians have fully embraced that. And we see that uh, in the, in the, in the description of Jesus that uh, the gospel writer gave. Um, and then the other one is that my tradition also acknowledges that God desires to bless all people in all places. Um, for, for example, as I've already mentioned with Ju Judaism, uh, the specific uh, 
these people talk about God in this specific way, so it must be um, an exclusive uh, contract, some might say, uh, with a narrow slice of humanity. But, but God's love for people is evident from uh, the very beginning, uh, even in the lines that describe God's revelation uh, to and covenant with Abram, whom we later, later call Abraham, uh, was the first person of Jewish faith, and, and God was there looking forward and looking beyond. Uh, not only does God promise blessing to Abraham and his offspring, but God pledges that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Everybody, back to the, all the children in the, in the world. God continued to express that, um, you know, that divine uh, intention for blessing uh, all people. And, um, and we don't have to wander behind every bush and, and every rock of, of the Old Testament, but, but I wanted to start there first because it's good to start at the beginning. And, and second, it sets us up to see great themes that run through the Bible. Uh, and so also with the promise of blessing all people everywhere, the, the very first Abram, later Abraham, was a migrant himself. He started in Ur of the Chaldeans, what is now southern Iraq, and then migrated to the promised land, now Israel and Palestine. And so the father of, of, of Judaism and the, and, the, and the fountainhead in the Bible of, 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 of Jewish and Christian belief uh, took his first major step by being, uh, by being an immigrant. Um, and he and his family, uh, like immigrants today, depended on the kindness of strangers as they journeyed, uh, uh, as they took this path, as the old King James Bible says, uh, to a land he knew not of. Uh, and, and then beyond that, the pivotal event of the Hebrew scriptures, at least, and indeed ancient Hebrew history is the Exodus. And so the Israelite people who had been slaves in Egypt um, fled that slavery, uh, escaped from the, the Pharaoh, the king, and they migrated back toward the land of promise. And so they wandered around the Sinai Peninsula as immigrants, and it took them 40 years. And occasionally, uh, they got along with their neighbors, but many times they did not. But they were immigrants in other people's land. Uh, and so through that kind of long liminal season, they wondered uh, and, and embodied what it's like to be an immigrant, vulnerable, um, uh, susceptible to the power of others, uh, not having a place to stop and rest and to call their own yet. Uh, so it's, it's then when you think about that, it's, it's not... Uh, a wonder at all that a significant aspect of the ethical framework of the Bible, beginning with the Jewish faith in life, uh, is, a, is a foundation for later for Christian ethics, and it encompasses kindness to strangers and hospitality to immigrants, those who are the other, those who are the stranger, uh, strangers in the land. Uh, so, for example, in, uh, in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, uh, the Hebrew scriptures, it says in the 19th chapter, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in a strange land. And in the, in the book of Exodus, uh, it says there shall be one law for the citizen and for the stranger who dwells among you. One law, not two. Everybody treated the same. Uh, so caring for the outsider, caring for the immigrant, for the migrant, uh, is built into the faith um, because it's the story of the faith. It's the story of faithful people in a major chapter in salvation history. Um, the prophet Isaiah teaches the faithful to provide bread for the hungry and to bring the poor into one's own house. Uh, 
And uh, so with the Hebrew Bible and later the New Testament, uh, we see story after story of admonitions to care for immigrants and and outsiders. Uh, In the New Testament, uh, we we prominently see right off the bat uh, that Jesus' own family, Jesus and his family, were immigrants. Uh, That uh, the king was uh, seeking to um, uh, slaughter uh, this boy who was prophesied to become the king, this baby boy. And so he practiced uh, slaughter of all these young children. And so uh, Joseph, G- uh, Jesus' earthly father, uh, heard in a dream that they should, they should flee. And so they became, uh, ironically, they became immigrants back to Egypt, uh, back where, uh, where they came from, uh, so to speak. Uh, but they, they were, again, like other immigrants before and after, they were, they were on the road, they were vulnerable, they were alone, they were dependent on others. Um, and so then it's not uh, surprising that uh, Jesus' teachings perpetually emphasize his mandate to receive and to serve those who are most vulnerable. In his first sermon, he identifies his own mission as preaching good news to the poor and serving those that are, that are at risk. And then similarly, Jesus said that the people who claim, who claim to follow him uh, will be judged by how they treat uh, uh, the least, the, the most vulnerable. And so all the people who claim to be Christian are measured by how they treat others is the same as how they treat Jesus. And, and so that puts a really extreme emphasis, I think, on, uh, on people, immigrants and body uh, that are weak, that are vulnerable, that are susceptible. Uh, and that's really strong language. It will be judged by how we treat others, but it compels Christians to, to seek and to serve the most marginalized and to take up the side of the underdog, we might say today, and to look uh, for and meet the needs of the most vulnerable um, in Texas and beyond. And, and that means caring for uh, immigrants. Okay. That's very, very helpful. And I, I have to say, I particularly um, want to tease out this note from Exodus about how in this nascent Israel, it's clear that the stranger is to be treated as one of your own, mm-hmm. to, to be a citizen, to use one kind of word. Yes. Um, but the same law for everybody, uh, the same care for everybody. Uh It's a critical point, and I think it's one that's often forgotten. Um, As I'll just tease out the link you made, too, between uh, Christ's statements on how you treat the other or or how you treat Christ, and that other includes, because of this Old Testament heritage in Jesus' own words, the stranger in your midst, the immigrant, Mm -hmm. the migrant in your midst. Uh, Mr. Knox, this leads us then to the second question. Um, How is this put into practice today? And maybe you can share some of your own experiences here. Uh, Sure. I've been blessed to see this put into practice uh, over the last, uh, well, particularly since um, folks will remember the the migrant surge in 2018 when the caravans uh, came up from um, mostly from uh, uh, Central America. And uh, that was when, and, and the, the big headlines at that time particularly were the separated children. Uh, some folks may remember there was an um, infamous former Walmart building in Brownsville. And, then, and one of the first things that uh, Fellowship Southwest did was we, we gathered with friends from across the region and across Texas, but even beyond, uh, and, and had a prayer meeting, a, a vigil there 
uh, right beside the parking lot of that uh, Walmart where, where those children were being held and then opportunities to uh, serve alongside them. But, but we, and we see now that, uh, that uh, activity on the Southwest border uh, of, of migrants is, is accelerating, it seems, um, uh, even, even in the last, uh, as we speak. Uh, and, and myriad factors have, have caused that. So I, I want to back up a little bit and just kind of say, well, why is this happening? And uh, mostly the reason that so many uh, immigrants are coming to our border uh, is, uh, comes down to several reasons. The first one is violence and extortion from gangs. And, and I, would, I would use air quotes, I think, around the word gangs. That seems too soft. I think in our culture, we think of gangs. We might think of 13, 14, 16-year-old kids or something. And this is organized crime in uh, particularly that northern triangle of Central America, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, where the governments have failed to protect the the, the citizens. And so uh, young men are being forced into gangs or, or being tortured or murdered if they don't uh, join. Uh, the young girls are, are being ranked, raped. Uh, people that are just trying to go about their lives are being extorted. Uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly violent era, area. A, a second cause of, of migration is crushing poverty. Uh, agricultural failure, particularly in Central and Latin America, uh, is, is strong due to ecological devastation. And most recently, the hurricanes, uh, there were two major hurricanes late last fall that, that struck the region and wiped out coffee plantations and, and farms. Um, a third reason is some political and religious persecution in some areas. And some of this is broader, of course, but some of the people are crossing our southern border coming from uh, from Haiti, but also from uh, uh, Cuba, from areas of Africa, as well as Latin and Central America. And, and some of those, it's, uh, it's being an outsider even in their own country. They can't trust the government or they can't trust the majority of people around them and, and they fled. Uh, and then there's a catalyst in the midst of all of this, particularly for Central Americans, and, and that is uh, rumors or mistruths that have been perpetuated about the situation at our border by the people who have an opportunity to benefit. I'm, I'm talking about the coyotes, the, the people who transport uh, immigrants uh, to the border and leave them here for a profit. Uh, and so uh, that's pushing so many people. And that's why when we, when we watch the news or, or, we, or we, we, we update ourselves on our, on our devices about what's gone on today, almost every day we see new stories about this. Um, but in the face of all this, back to your question about uh, uh, how is it put into practice, we see all kinds of people of faith who take seriously the Jewish and Christian ethic of hospitality to neighbor we've been talking about uh, to provide really loving and compassionate care to immigrants and refugees all along the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, and we do so based specifically on what we've been talking about, our understanding of the biblical mandate to serve the most vulnerable. Um, and so uh, with Fellowship Southwest, we work ecumenically from literally the entire length of the border, from, from the Gulf of Mexico to the Pacific Ocean. And, and we've built a network of pastors and other partners that many of them found, almost found uh, migrants on their literal doorsteps or their church's doorsteps, uh, particularly in 2018. I won't go into all the details, but at that time, migrants could come across to seek asylum 
but they had no place to go. And so these people started, these pastors and churches started keeping them in their congregations. And then when, when the migrants were pushed back across the border uh, and, and stayed in Mexico while they waited, uh, then the ministry moved back across the border. Um, and if you don't mind, I'll just kind of give you a whirlwind tour. I mentioned a few names and places of, of some of these pastors that are working and kind of what they're doing. And so well, let's start uh, uh, the farthest from where we're sitting in in, in Dallas right now, uh, and that would be Tijuana, uh, Mexico, uh, right by the uh, Pacific Ocean. And um, Pastor Juvenal Gonzalez was already ministering there, uh, helping start churches in the state of Baja California. And uh, in 2018, the um, group of uh, the caravan of migrants came up the western edge of Mexico, and overnight there were shelters all over the city. Of, of migrants trying to cross the border there. Uh, and um, they organized quickly and the churches were among the first to step up to provide feeding programs. So when I visited there uh, in uh, late 2018, uh, Pastor uh, Juvenal uh, had a congregation that was providing breakfast every morning uh, to a tent camp of 2,200 people. Uh, and then another congregation there was providing kind of last minute shelter before uh, migrants were uh, able to cross the border, just doing whatever needed to be done. Um, another good friend and, and, uh, and, com, uh, and partner is uh, Rosalia Sosa. He's pastor of a church in El Paso, uh, but also uh, the de- uh, director of a migrant shelter network in the state of Chihuahua uh, that runs 18 different uh, shelters uh, most of them in uh, in Juarez, right across the border from El Paso, but one way out in the desert uh, uh, in a little town called Palomas, uh, south of uh, pretty much uh, western New Mexico. And um, this uh, little town, it, it, you know, if it were anywhere else in the country, it would be maybe a one blinking light town that you would just drive through and never slow down. And it's a major traffic point for for migrants in the desert. And uh, Many of the, uh, the ones that have been returned to Mexico over the last months have been dropped off out there. Uh, and in some ways, it's then harder to get back to anywhere when you're 100 miles into the desert. Uh, many of them have medical needs. And, and so this, this, uh, uh, this network that's out there that we've been uh, blessed to help support by providing a shelter in this little town uh, is uh, binding up the wounded and feeding those that are hungry uh, every day, uh, different ones almost every day. Uh, we work with a pastor who uh, lives in Mexico and has all the time, uh, Israel Rodriguez, and, and he's in uh, Piedras Negras, uh, Mexico. Um, and uh, their church uh, has had an interesting thing. They, they ran two shelters um, and, and two complexes, a, a little bit like some U.S. churches. They had two campuses, a downtown campus and a suburban campus. Uh, and uh, they, they housed um, Central American uh, uh, immigrants in, in one uh, uh, campus. And uh, then the others, Cubans, mostly in Venezuelans, in another uh, in part because they were uh, sensitive to the cultural differences between the people there and wanted them to feel most at home and most welcome. Um, uh, Pastor Lorenzo Ortiz is, uh, lives in Laredo, and he was one of the first uh, when, when, uh, when the people were uh, allowed to cross, the migrants were allowed to cross the border, uh, they really were on his church property. And so his church started feeding them and they allowed them to sleep in their um, uh, in their sanctuary on and under the pews. 
And um, we actually met and, and, and I heard about Lorenzo because their, uh, their utilities went up 300% in one month and uh, needed some help with that. He actually got fired by his church for helping the immigrants because they, they, it was putting such a strain, understandably, but he couldn't let go. And so he's been working for three years in Nuevo Laredo and Saltillo. Uh, that area, mid-border area of, of, uh, the, the, of northern Mexico is probably the most dangerous area uh, in uh, North America because of the viciousness of the Mexican cartels there. And so Pastor Lorenzo's job has been primarily keeping migrants off the streets and protected so they wouldn't either be trafficked, uh, uh, held hostage, uh, kidnapped for, uh, for ransom uh, or, or tortured. Uh, a really courageous ministry. He puts himself at risk as he works on this. Uh, Eleuterio Gonzalez is in Matamoros, and he's a former uh, prosecutor who became a pastor. Uh, and I, I wonder sometimes if he wishes he were back in court because uh, he he is ministered beside the large uh, campground in Matamoros. He's helped to feed there, but then open other shelters as the government was trying to decrease the size of that uh, mag, uh, monstrous camp right there on the banks of the Rio Grande. Uh, and, um, and then uh, Pastor Carlos Navarro is uh, a pastor in Brownsville, and, and he's had a different role that's ramping up again. As the migrants are allowed to cross and to seek asylum, they need people on the U.S. side to welcome them. And they, uh, this little church operates a shelter where they uh, provide them food when, when opportunity to provide a, a chance to have a shower, uh, to get cleaned up, a new set of clothes, and then a very large goodie bag before they get on buses and travel across the country to go live with, uh, with sponsors. Um, and then the last one I'll mention is brand new. In just the last couple of weeks, activity is, is increased at the airports in the, in the valley. And so U.S. immigration officials were dropping off um, uh, migrants uh, at the airport in Harlingen, uh, who spoke no English, had no U.S. currency, usually had small children in, in tow. And so uh, Eddie Bernal, a, a lay member of a congregation there in Harlingen, worked at the airport, uh, began to recognize what was happening, this change. And so he and his wife, Elizabeth, have started a ministry we're supporting uh, where they run three uh, uh, shifts of volunteers just to basically help the folks that come to the airport to get a meal or get some food, get some diapers or, or uh, formula for their children. And then the basics of just helping them to understand uh, their boarding passes, uh, to talk about the layout of the airport, where they'll be going so they know their way around, uh, but a much, much needed uh, ministry. So you can kind of see pretty much any kind of thing that if people have a need for it, it is also an opportunity to minister. So I, th I think you can see by uh, talking about these uh, these uh, different people on the border that uh, there are all kinds of needs of migrants. And, and so people that have eyes to see find opportunity to minister uh, to the immigrants around them. Um, and Fellowship Southwest, we're really blessed uh, to, to network with all kinds of folks, with Baptists and Catholics and disciples and Lutherans and Methodists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians, and, and then also uh, the U.S. and Mexican governments. And we found that most of the people that work for those governments really want to help too, and so they're good partners. Um, and so we, we, we're able, as we look around and we see the needs of immigrants, to network, to receive them and sponsor them and to help them get on their feet. Um, 
And the blessing is, as the writer of Hebrews says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And we think that our folks on the border see angels every day. Thank you very much. I think that's a great uh, ending for this interview. And I want to thank you for agreeing to be part of it. Uh, do you have any final words? Those were great final words. But if you have anything else to say, please do. No, just thank you for this opportunity. Uh, bless you as you as you encounter this new season of the podcast and, and folks explore new ways to embody uh, our faith and live it out. I'm, I'm really grateful to be a part of that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. This has been Interfaith Encounters. I'm Dr. Robert Hunt. I have been speaking with Reverend Marv Knox, the Executive Director of Fellowship Southwest a regional ecumenical network founded by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship.